Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad you're with me on this Sunday morning. I always like to say, hope you had a good week. And if you had a good week or sometimes a tough week, I want you to look forward to a good week that starts today on Sunday. And we're going to look into some uh, things from Scripture. And from a practical angle this morning, I want to finish up this little three-part series I've been doing about the power of the Christ that is within you. So I want to start this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. We'll wind this up. But we're going to uncover some things this morning that I think are not only practical, but powerful. And as we begin to demonstrate them, it has a dramatic change. It produces a dramatic change in my life, in your life, in my life too. All right, let's begin 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let me pick it up with verse uh, 19. I'll just read verses 19 and uh, 20, all right? He says this, do you, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, as I read these verses, I want them just to settle into you. I'll probably say that a couple of times. Because we read verses and we just, we just read them. We've read them so many times, we don't let the impact of what that verse actually is saying. Do you not know that your body is the temple, the habitation, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? who is in you. He's in you. So your body's the temple. He's within. Now watch this. Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. <clears throat> I don't know what you get from that verse, but my, my reading of it, as I meditated on it this week, I saw in those two verses what Paul is trying to say is you are off your hands and you've been placed fully into the hands of God. You talk about security. You talk about good position, place to be in life. You can't be in a better position than for the creator of the universe to come and say to you, you're not your own. I'm taking full responsibility for you. Those two verses bring you entirely, totally under the care and the oversight of the Father. Think about that verse. Think about the depth of that verse. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. In fact, the Holy Spirit, he says, dwells within you, and the Father has taken full care of you. Let, just let that settle in. Why, why do I worry and care about things when I'm in the hands of the one that created everything, the one that has all power over all? He fully lives in you and manifests himself through your inner man, through your spirit. So that makes, if I'm reading that verse right, <clears throat> that makes his life my life, right? It's no longer I who live, it's Christ that lives in me. I died. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that what Paul, Paul told us time and time and time again? Paul was really big about this Christ in you. The hope of glory, the hope of all that we, we need to have, hope of everything that we will ever desire to have in life is encompassed in that spirit that dwells within you and you house him. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are his, by the way. So that makes, that makes the life in you the Christ life. Now, let me just keep going with that just a little bit. Let me just follow down with that thought just a little bit. Let's keep going with it. 
If Christ is my life, then Christ is my health. He's my strength. He's the creative thoughts that come into my mind. I have the mind of Christ. This mind of Christ dwells within me. I have his mind. Christ's perfection is now my, my perfection. So when I look at the life of Christ, he's not sick. He's not broke. He's not depressed. He's not insecure. He's not unhappy. He's not worrying about anything. Therefore, neither should I, right? Now, if I am, then I need to grab hold of what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to get across to you at the very introduction of the teaching this morning as we talk about the power of the Christ within. I'm trying to get across the point that we have been zeroed out. We no longer live a life. We're living his life. You, you are wall, let me say it like this, you're wall-to-wall -wall Christ. Here's what Paul said. Let's, let's just keep digging with this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's, uh, let me just read a couple of verses here. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 1, and let me pick it up at verse, how about 22? <clears throat> and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now, he's not talking about a building. You know that. You're, you're way down the road. The church is not a building. It's the ecclesia. It's called out ones. It's you and me. So he gave him to be the head over all things to you and me, which is his body. So the, the church, which is his body, contains the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Now, what, what I'm doing here is I'm just expanding on what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, <clears throat> that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're on his hands. You're off your hands. And now he's trying to get across to us in these verses that <clears throat> he has made Jesus, he's made Christ the head over all things to the ecclesia, to call out one's church, members in particular, which is his body. You are the body of Christ. The fullness of him. You are the fullness of him. Man, we're talking about the power of the Christ that is within you. We have not let, we've just not let this stuff sink in deep enough. It's, this is transformational. This is life-changing. And this Christ who indwells us, in whom we are the body, the fullness of him, and he fills there's no vacant space. There's no, there's no parts of the body. There's no parts of your life that he's not. He fills all and is in all. So you, you've zeroed out. And what's happened is as you've drained out, I think, was it John the Baptist that said, he must increase, I must decrease. As you decrease, there's no vacuum. There's no empty space. He comes and fills that entire space. The Christ does. So what we need to do is to come into agreement with the one who is now our life. He's now my health. He's now my wealth. He's now my security. He's now my all in all. 
And Jesus, Jesus lived that life. Jesus lived the Christ life. Jesus was, was very Christocentric in everything that he did. He demonstrated how to live as a man the Christ life that was motivated, that was filled with Christ. So don't, don't let your uh, thoughts run off into how Christ is going to do something in your life. He lives in there. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And he's going to fulfill it, right? Just lay hold of the thought that his supply is your supply in all things. And that supply is yours now. It's not, this isn't some sort of futuristic pie in the sky happening. This, this supply that he has, this inward Christ that lives within you, that dwells, fills every space, every vacant part that you might think is vacant in your life, including your thoughts, you have the mind of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 13, right? Just hold the thought that he's your supply. He's your supply in all things. There's nothing that is beyond the supply that the Christ can develop or bring to us. Watch this. Verse 13. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I will do, he will do also in greater works than these because I go to my Father. Watch this. <clears throat> Here's the 13th verse. Here's the verse I wanted to highlight. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The, the, the name and the will to do are inseparable. So asking, look, there's, there's two parts to this asking thing. Let me just, this might be a slight rabbit trail. Hold with me. Let me read that 13th verse again. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name. Look, there's two parts to this, right? We, got, we have the supply within us because the Christ dwells within us. Have I laid that down for you enough? He's your health. He's your wealth. He's your security. You're off your hands. You're into his hands. He fills every part of your life. There's no part of you, including your thoughts, the mind of Christ, that he doesn't dwell because you're not your own anymore. He possesses you fully. And to me, that's tremendous security. That's not... That's not something I don't desire. I desire that. I, I want that to be that way. So he said, if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. Now asking, asking, there's really two parts to this. Now watch. If we ask anything in his name, he will do it. Asking, a, no, Roman numero A, asking is going within and listening. And listening. That's asking. Listening. What, what is it he's saying about that? Now, what you hear him say, you ask. That's asking in his name. He didn't say, if you ask anything. He said, if you ask anything in my name. Now, see, we, what we used to do is say, well, in the name of Jesus, I ask this, I ask that. That's, that's way off base. The biggest part of asking is listening to go within and see what it is that he desires. Once you know what he desires, that's tree of life. That's tree of life living. You have no will. You're not your own yet. Your, your will is zeroed out. He has increased as you decrease. So asking is going within, hearing what he wants, hearing what he says. 
Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. This is how I'm getting into. This is how Jesus lived, y'all. He went within to see what the Father said, then he said it. He agreed with it. That's two of you agreeing. That's him and you agreeing. You're not trying to get him to agree with you. The agreement is that you agree with him. And when you ask in agreement with him, he will do one of two things. He will lead you to it or he'll bring it to you. I think we've, I think we've missed that. I don't think there's been very much teaching on two phases of asking. The biggest part is, is seeing what he desires. And then you ask him what he desires. You're in agreement with him. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, it'll be done for him. All right? Be bold in your listening. Jump in there. Listen with all your might. Listen in confidence, knowing, knowing that he is more willing to give to you than you are willing to receive. In fact, he has much more to give to you than you will ever receive in your entire life. Now, just it, one thing in his giving, he's never going to ask you to ask. He's never going to prompt you to ask anything that is contrary to him. Look at this, James chapter 1, verse 6 says, says this. <clears throat> All right, this, we're getting into some stuff now. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed with the wind. Now, if you, there's no doubt when you know what he wants. Let him ask in faith. The faith part is knowing what he desires, and then you ask in agreement with his desire. You've never been taught that, have you? For let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded. He's unstable in all of his ways. The double-mindedness comes when God desires one thing, you desire another. But when you come and you ask in agreement with him, it shall be done. Right? That's in his name. He, his will and his name are not two different things. His name equals his will. Jesus came to show us a father that desires to be to us through the Christ within the abundance of everything that we want and desire because our wants and desires are his wants and desires. <clears throat> when you listen within as to what, all right, you're facing a situation. You're, you're looking at a new job. The headhunters called and said, I got a job for you in Chicago. All right, so what do you do? You say, Father, I, I pray that you bless me as I go to Chicago. I'm going to take the job. It's a better job, more pay. Or do you go inside and say, Father, what's your desire? What's your plan? And he says, go to Chicago. Then you can ask, Father, open the doors for housing, schooling, everything as I go to Chicago. I'm in agreement with you about this. He's more desirous of you staying on track and following his path than you are to follow it. You know what Ephesians 3.20 says? It says that he, he, will, he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Let me read that for you because I, I want to get the exact wording. Because this, this is just honing in on what I'm trying to teach you this morning about the power of the Christ that is within us, man. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now watch the end of this verse because it's got a kick to it. 
Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do, watch the way this builds. Him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now the key to that asking or thinking is just what I got done explaining. It's going within, finding his will, his plan, his desire. Then you ask it. And when you ask it, he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. He, he's going to put a cherry on top of the Sunday. Not only is he going to have you take the job in Chicago with more money, or, he's, or you're going to feel inside, no, wait a minute, this, there's more to, I, I, don't, I don't, that's not the one. So you stay where you're at, right? So you say, Father, here's where I'm at. Now he's going to do where you're at then if he says don't do it. He's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think right where you're at. Now watch this. This is the kick of the, of the verse. Let me, let me read it all in context and I'll put the end on it. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly, this is such a good bill. If he just did exceeding what I could ask or think, I'd be happy. <laughs> but he does exceedingly abundantly. If he just did exceedingly abundantly, it'd be great. He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Not just what you ask. See, there's some things that I think that I'm probably not bold enough to ask for. He's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And the only stipulation is in the asking is that you ask according to his will. So you, asking according to his will is not saying, Father, I pray, if it's your will. No, you, you go in and you find out what the will is. Are you with me this morning? You go in and you, I'm, I'm helping you to live the, the, the power of the Christ is us life. You don't ask until you know what the will is. If you ask anything according to his will, he'll do it. That's not, that's not a crapshoot. That's not shooting a shotgun. That's a rifle shot. Specific. And when I learned it first, I need to find out what his plan is. Then I ask for it to come to pass. Man, then he and I are in total agreement. Then I can line with Jesus and say, I'm only doing what I see the Father do. I'm only, I'm only saying what I hear the Father say. So in my prayer, I'm not, I'm not trying to come up with original ideas and thoughts and then go to him and say, Father, bless this. I, I've done that. I've made so many messes. I've got more Ishmael's than you could shake a stick at till I learn some of the things that I'm teaching to you so that you can walk around those booby traps. He's according to the power that works in us. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that is within us. What is the power that is within you? Just what I got unexplained for 20 minutes. The Christ within. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. The Christ within is the power that works within you. So what's my part in this? My part is the asking or the thinking in alignment with him. His job then is to do the exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. See, when, when, you, when we get into it, what I'm teaching this morning takes the hit and miss out of this. People always say, I don't, I don't know if it's God's will. I don't know if it's God's plan. Why don't you know if it's God's will or plan? Why don't you just stay firmly fixed? Until you go within and get quiet. See, I've been teaching you and teaching you and teaching you. The kingdom is within. The abundance is within. 
It's not what you look, it's not what it looks like, it's not what it feels like, it's not what you're hearing from other people, it's not their counsel, not their advice, that's all good. But at the end of the day, you're, look at me, you're responsible for you. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm trying to teach you that you don't have to live a hit and miss life, that you can go in and know the will of the Father and then you agree with it. And out of that agreement, he's going to do way more than you ever thought. Exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So you, you, may, you may be thinking some things that you say, I don't know if I should ask that much or not. He's going to do abundantly above all you could ask or think. And then when you ask and you think it, according to what he has revealed to you, listen to this. Listen to this. I don't do too much out of Revelation, but let me just read one verse here. Out of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I, I, I always shy away getting over in Revelation. I don't claim to know everything that Revelation is trying to get across. I really don't. But I do see this in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 25. All right, you've asked according to his will. He spoke to you. You say, Father, I agree with you. Here's what I ask. I ask in accordance with your will, your plan, your revelation. But hold fast what you have until I come. And I don't, I, I think the holding fast is not until you die and see him. <laughs> his coming is not the second coming. His, his, his coming is, is not holding fast until the rapture, but hold fast until he fully reveals or manifests himself to you. You've gone within. You've heard what he said. You've asked according to his plan, according to his will. Then what do you do? You hold fast until he reveals the entirety of it to you. Let me say it like this. When you've ceased your futile labor, all your pressing in and fasting and trying to move into the things of God, when all, when you're, when all that has not panned out, and finally, you've just come, and the only labor you've done now is to enter his rest. And you've put everything into the hands of the Christ that is within. And you've spent your time with him. Don't take back what he has said and what you've agreed to. Hold fast until it's all revealed. Hold fast. Hold fast. Don't take him back by worry or by fear or by thinking. Remember what Abraham did? He finally got to the place and said, I better do something myself. And so he took Hagar and produced an Ishmael instead of the Isaac. You're always going to have a chance to get an Ishmael. Sometimes, sometimes it, 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 it takes some while, but hold the thought in your mind, in your life, in your spirit, that it's done because you have agreed with him about it. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. And then, as it says in Revelation 2.5, you just hold firm. You just hold on to it. That, that presence that is divine is fully, totally the sufficiency in everything. So I'm, I'm walking you through this on a very practical level this morning. And it will materialize itself in what you need. Hold firm, expecting until it manifests. Sometimes there's some development within us that needs to take place. Sometimes there's some growth within us. 
but you can hold it while it's growing. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, I love this verse. It says, um, beloved, the first verse says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and watch, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know this, that when he is revealed, when he is manifested, we shall be like him because we'll see him exactly as he is. The revelation of the Christ within and his power, his working within us, are, are who we are. It reveals who we are and what we have. I'm trying, I'm trying to break this thing down this morning so in, in bite-sized pieces so that you can grab onto it. I want you to, after, after three weeks on the power of the Christ within, I hope you have an understanding and a revelation of the one that is within you. He's powerful. The, the key to trusting the Christ within to do all things is twofold. All right, now listen to me. All right, get ready. Are you ready for this? All right, it's twofold. Learning to trust the Christ is twofold. First of all, it's realizing that you're totally one with him. There's no separation. You're in absolute union. He is within you wall to wall. We read it. And number two, knowing that all power is given to this one that dwells within you. Trust in him. Resting in him moves you in the direction of the health, of the wealth, of the wholeness, spirit, soul, body. It moves you toward the direction. When you realize you're one with him, this, this gives us the confidence. This gives us the impetus, the gasoline that drives the engine. You realize you're one with him and that the one within you is all-powerful. Now understand this. <clears throat> Let me get a drink. I want you to understand this. Nothing really big normally bursts forth in our life. That's normal. Here's the, way, here's the way as he reveals himself in you. You've asked according to his will. You understand you're one with him. You've trusted him. You know that the one in you is able to do, has the power to do, exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Normally, it doesn't come. I've never had what I would say is a huge miracle. But I'll tell you what I have experienced is the building of little successes, of little steps. I'm, I'm, where, I at, I'm where I'm at today, not because of some gigantic habit. I've never had a Damascus Road experience. But I've learned step by step who I am, who he is, that he's fully trustworthy. What he said he'll do, he'll do it. Now, there have been some nights that I will confess that I've spent some nights with my fist clenched and my, and my teeth clenched waiting. That's the battle. That's, that's the battle of the whole thing. Trusting and holding on to the Christ that is within. Trusting that what I can't see yet shall manifest. Until the faith that Jesus had in the Father through the Christ within me becomes mine as well as his, right? What Scripture teaches, and in, the, in those nights when you're waiting, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You ever had some of those times? In those nights, Scripture's teaching us, he's teaching us to trust the faith 
of Christ and not to trust in our faith. Huge difference. Tremendous difference. I don't have faith in me anymore. I used to have a lot of faith in me. My ability, I natural talents, natural abilities, and sometimes you get to trusting them. Paul had tremendous insight into Abraham. Abraham is called the father of faith. But I want you to, I want, I want to read some scripture. I want you to watch how the father of faith, what he actually operated in. What the father of faith actually demonstrated. In, in Romans chapter 4, I think this is some of the, the best revelation that Paul had. Romans chapter 4, and I, were, I want to pick it up with verse 17. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Watch this. Ah, why did I go to John? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I know my Bible. <laughs> Romans chapter 4. Here's how... Here's how Paul described Abraham, starting with verse 17. As it is written, I have made you, Abraham, the father of many nations, in the presence of him whom you believe, God, who calls, who gives life to the dead and calls things that be not as though they are. Right? Who, contrary to hope, now speaking about Abraham, who, contrary to hope, believed in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So what did Abraham put his faith in? He went within. He saw that the plan of the father was to make him the father of many nations. That's what he trusted. That's what he grasped. That's what his faith was in. He's got, Paul's going to say it very plainly in just a minute. And not being weak in faith. All right, now here's strong faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb... He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. That's the nights he was spending with his, 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 his fists clenched and his teeth biting down, saying, I got this, I can hold on. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now watch this. And being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. So Abraham's faith was not in Abraham. The only time he veered off of that is when he, when he took Hagar and had a boy, Ishmael. He, was, he got tired of waiting, thought, I better help God, better help the father in this. But what Abraham taught us is that we don't begin by seeing the thing or feeling it. What we have is an absolute trust in the one who promised it. And that was counted as Abraham's faith. He was the father of faith. Not because he had so much faith in his ability to produce. Man, how many times have we felt bad? We felt guilty. We've been sick. We've prayed for healing. It hasn't shown up right then. Now, we haven't taken time to go within, see what the father's saying. Did the father say, get to the doctor? Father say, bed rest? What's the father say about this? And then I begin to agree with him. We just automatically think, I lack faith. Something I'm doing wrong. Must be sin in my life. No. Abraham's faith was not faith in Abraham. It was faith in the one that promised to do what he promised. And he didn't see it, didn't feel it. So we, we cooperate in the process. All right, here's how we cooperate in the process. First, we get the mind of Christ. We get the thought of Christ. We go within. And that thought then, 
we send to our imagination that fills it out, paints the picture. Then it drops to our heart that matures it and develops it. I see myself. I see what he said. That's what Abraham did. He saw the boy. He held on. He trusted in the one that promised it. And finally, after the thought developed in imagination drops into the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks in agreement with originally what the thought was that came from the mind of Christ. That's co-creating. See, everything that we need has already been created in the invisible. So we're, we're learning how to bring from the invisible into the visible. How did Jesus articulate that? How, how, did, how did Jesus show us? How did he speak it? Jesus gives us some insight into, into how he lived it, and we can live it the same way. John chapter 14, verse 20. He said, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and that you're in me and that I'm in you. We know that. Now here's how he did it. Verse 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority. But the Father who is in me, he does the works. So what, what Jesus is saying in that 10th verse of John chapter 14 is that he did not speak his own words. The words that came to him came out of the abundance of the heart that the Father had, had revealed to him and shown to him. I'm sure that had been envisioned in his imagination and thought came to him from the, from the Father. He went to the Father, got the thought, developed it, matured, and he spoke. But it was the Father that did the works. John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 30. I mean, Jesus fully came to show us how to demonstrate this life. And it just takes a little time to begin to dig some of this out of the example that he set. He, John chapter 5 verse 30. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. Have you come to that point? I, I'm getting closer. I can of my own self do nothing. It comes back to what we started out in 1 Corinthians, that you are not your own. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price, man. You're fully, you're fully secure in his hand. No man can take you out of his hand. That's the position you have. Now rest in that. I can of my own self do nothing. He said, as I hear, I judge. As I hear within, I say, that, that aligns with the Father. I judge it. That aligns with the Father's love, the Father's will, the Father's plan. It produces love, joy, peace, gentleness. It produces the fruit. My judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will. I seek the will of the Father who sent me. Man, if we could just take that 30th verse and just chip it, <laughs> put a chip into everybody that would, that would enable us to easily do that and not go through this process of going around the mountain several times until we come to the place where we say, I got it. I can of my own self do nothing. See, that's John 14, 10, John 5, 30. That's the pattern. 
Jesus just clearly clears the bell, laying it out for us. Je Jesus grew in that. I think when Scripture says in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man, I think that's exactly what he's talking about. He came to that place where he realized and understood at age 30 that he was no longer his own. He was in the Father's hands. The Christ lives in us and always has. We just we didn't know it. Nobody ever taught it. Paul didn't know it until it was revealed. We don't know it until it's revealed. Paul said, man, when it pleased the Father who finally revealed the Christ that was in me. And then Paul turns right around. That's in, in Galatians 1. Then Paul turns right around in Colossians and says, there has been a mystery that has been hidden. But now being revealed to the saints, and the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory, always been there. I never heard uh, growing up, I never heard going through my education that the Christ was always within us. And growing up, man, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, two, three revivals a year, camp meeting in the summer. Nobody ever taught me that the Christ was within. We believed in the sky God out there that we had to ask to come live within us. And then the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Christ was an entirely different matter. Now, maybe this will help you catch it just a little bit. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This might help you catch it just a little bit more. I'm just trying to lay this case down. We'll come back and visit this sometime. We'll come back and visit it some more. I'm, I'm, I'm working on, a, on a, a long series around this subject of Christ in us because it is the key to living the manifested Son of God life. Jesus totally relied on the one that was within him. He didn't rely on his own strength, own power, his own insight, his own intellect, his own training. And he was trained. Jesus was educated. Paul was educated. Highly educated man. And they learned to draw on what was within. See, now it seems like some people say, well, I don't need any education. I just listen to the Holy Spirit. What's wrong with both? I value my education. And I also value the spirit that is within. And I think the two work together. They coordinate well. You know, it's not an either or. Let's do both. There's a lot of you watching me. You know I'm the president of Global Grace Seminary. There's a lot of you that are watching me that should enroll in the seminary. And take the courses. Take the classes. You have an alternative. You can do it for a degree or if you just want to take the classes without tests, without papers, you can do that to gain the knowledge. You need to do that. If Global Grace Seminary had been available in the year 2000, I would have taken I didn't need another degree. Dear Jesus, I didn't need another degree. I would have taken it because there is in one place the concentration of the best grace teachers, best inclusion teachers. Finished work teachers that are on the planet and they're laying it out for you line upon line. Some of you need to do it. I'm sorry. There's nothing wrong with education. Nothing wrong with learning. It doesn't detract. In fact, it heightens your sensitivity to the Spirit. That's what I found. That's what I found. I don't think Jesus, uh, they called him rabbi, teacher. He didn't get that title lightly. Paul was highly educated. Gamaliel. Paul was, was the leading Pharisee of the day. Now, I don't think that education helped him, but it made him see things 
when the Judaizers came, see, what, what educate, here's, my education was totally around legalism. But when I got a hold of grace, you know what? What I had learned in legalism, now I was able to understand what it was that I no longer held on to because grace now shined the light on it. So some of you have come from really legalistic, religious backgrounds. You need to get a hold of some things. And I can only do so much at the digital cathedral one hour a week or the, the, the secret place 45 minutes on Wednesday. Some of you will grow by leaps and bounds and you will reach where the Father has sent you to go, your mission. Much easier if you, if you receive education. Now that's all I want to say about that. All right, Mark chapter 4. I want you to catch the power of the Christ that is within. Mark, Mark chapter 4. I don't very often say much about Global Grace Seminary, but globalgraceseminary.net. Get the story for yourself. You got any questions? Register our emailer, okay? Luke chapter 4, verse 36. I want you to see. I'm going I'm to draw. I don't do much uh, symbolic teaching, but I'm going to do a little symbolic teaching. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. All right, side note. The only storms that you can really defeat are the ones you can sleep through. Another teaching for another day. They came and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Doesn't look good. Jesus, what are you going to do? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, Who in the heck is this guy? That even the wind and the sea obey. All right, now listen. I'm going to, Jesus was in the boat. I'm, the boat, I think, is a great symbol of life, of your life, my life. Jesus was, was in the boat. He was in the life. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. His being in the boat did not stop the storm from arising, right? Jesus said, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll like him to a man that builds his house on a rock. And when the rains come, the winds blow. All right. Jesus, Jesus didn't say when you build, hear his sayings and do them, that you're not going to encounter anything. The, Jesus being in the life, Jesus being in the boat. Jesus was asleep in the boat. Right? So it took somebody to awaken the Jesus that was in the boat. They had to stir him. Jesus, the, the Christ is in us, but until you stir him up, until you awaken him. And once he was awakened, once he was stirred from within, inside the boat, he manifested his power and the storm ceased. Right? The danger was over. Peace was restored. You are a true spirit. That is, that is your true self. Your true self is one with the Christ. We're sons and daughters now, today. Right? Are you with me? And as we learn to still this mortal us, 
This mortal lust is going to face the storms. This mortal lust is going to be in the middle of a rainstorm, hailstorm. And as we stir the Christ within, the Father through the Son and the Spirit will awaken as we stir the Christ within. He will awaken and manifest through us at, at the obstacle, the storm that is trying to overwhelm us. We're looking at the storm saying, man, don't you care that we perish? We are the family of God. We're the body of Christ and we're maturing and we're growing. Beloved, now are we the children of God. You're not just reflections or images of God appearing outwardly by your actions. You are a full expression. You are likeness of God. See, image and likeness. Let, let, me, let me come over to 1 John chapter 3. Let, let, let's read this. Because it's important to understand that, that you are both image and likeness. Likeness is what develops. All right? Now watch this. <clears throat> Beloved, now are we the children of God. That's image. That's how you appear. That's how you're going to walk. That's how people are going to see you. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know this, that when he is revealed, we will be exactly like him. Likeness. See, image is, is quality. It's, it's, it's looking like. It's representation. It's Jesus saying this, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's likeness. But when Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do, that's likeness. Image, image, seen me, you've seen the Father. Likeness is, I only do what the Father does. All right? Are you with me? The Father has made us one with him, image and likeness, as Jesus was one with him, image and likeness. The Father in us is manifesting to the world through you continually getting brighter and stronger. He's manifesting through you image and likeness of himself. Now, it hasn't been fully revealed what we shall be. But we know this, that as he's revealed, as he manifests, as we get revelation, that we're going to be exactly like him, not just in appearance, not just an image, but in likeness. For it was the Father's good pleasure that in Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity should fully manifest. It was the Father's good pleasure that in Jesus, the Christ, the very fullness of God dwell. That means in Jesus dwelt the fullness of love. In Jesus dwelt the fullness of life. In Jesus dwelt the fullness of joy. In Jesus dwelt the fullness of power. See, that's being both image and likeness. And in him, in him, you are made full to overflowing. You are image and likeness. Image was always stamped. You're always in the image. Now, the likeness is a process. It's a development. Christ in us. Christ one with us. So that we can boldly say, and I'm, I'm done. So that we can boldly say, in Christ, all 
things are mine. Now, it's just a matter of me coming into agreement with him, going within. Father, what is your plan? What is your desire? What is your will? I don't speak, but what you speak. I don't do, but what I see you do. And as we declare in agreement with him, it will manifest. I'm telling you, the Christ within is powerful. <clears throat> We've just scratched the surface in these three little teachings on who he is and what he's about, what he has available to us. And it says these little successes as I said, we just take the small steps. Now he may burst out and, and you may have a Damascus road where you're knocked to the ground and you're overwhelmed by it. But my experience is little success, little steps, little realizations, here a little, there a little. I continually decrease, he increases. I gain more confidence, more boldness, more faith in his faith, less faith in my faith until I'm zeroed out. And it's no longer I that am even doing the living. It's the Christ that is within me. Amen? All right, God bless. I think we'll stop right there. That's enough for one Sunday morning. See you Wednesday night at the Secret Place back next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. at the Digital Cathedral. And God bless you. Sticking with me. We're on a journey. We're on a powerful mission. And it's getting better and better and better. Getting gooder and gooder and gooder. And I'm sure glad to make it with you. God bless you. See you next time. If your heart has been touched by Don Keithley's words, and you believe this ministry can enrich your spiritual journey, we warmly invite you to subscribe and hit the bell icon. By doing so, you'll stay up to date with all the new and inspiring content from the Digital Cathedral, ensuring you never miss out on the transformative power of God's love and grace. You may make a donation at donkeithley.com. We thank you for your continued support and encouragement.